Just a quick note to acknowledge that you may find the audio quality of this podcast isn't as sharp as usual due to some technical issues. We've decided to publish anyway as we hope you agree the content is of high quality. Rest assured we'll be back to our high audio standards for the next edition. We hope you enjoy. Welcome to the Winning Edge Investments Podcast. Winning Edge Investments provides industry-leading horse racing and sports betting tips, ratings and education, enabling you to invest intelligently and treat your betting like a business. Go to www.winningedgeinvestments.com to learn more about how you can start to supercharge your betting bank immediately. Treat your betting like a business and invest intelligently with Winning Edge Investments. Today we're joined by Randwick-based trainer John Sargent, a winner of training premierships and major races all over the world. Thanks for coming to the show, John. Tell us how you got into racing. I um, I was brought up on a farm in New Zealand and uh, I learned to ride probably before I could walk and um, used to do the sort of eventing and hunting type things. So I grew up with horses and um, that's uh, sort of where it started and uh, the love of horses. So um, um, from there I moved, um, when I went overseas to, to travel, that's where I sort of... Uh, did my time to learn uh, the training game. I uh, did five years in Newmarket um, with Harry Rag. Um, his son Jeff Rag took over after I left and won a couple of derbies. And then I came down to Australia and did um, a few years with Angus Armanasco when he was the um, gun two-year-old trainer in Australia. Probably him and Cliffy Farr ran the roost down in uh, down in Victoria. You've been around many successful people in the industry. Who have been the biggest influences in your career, especially early on? Probably um, learning up in England how you, you know, develop stayers. And uh, I ended up travelling around Europe and Ireland and Scotland with a team of horses. And, uh, you know, you're left in charge. You've got to use your brains yourself. And if something goes wrong, you've got to work it out yourself. And um, I learned a lot of Harry Rag. I thought he was a very good master. And um, then, of course, going down to the other, other side of it, uh, Angus Armanasco, well, you learn how to train two-year-olds there because um, that's basically all he had. You know, he had Lone Star in those days and um, he had some very fast two-year-olds and uh, slipper winners and whatever. So they were probably the major influences on my training side of it. What were some of the best pieces of advice they gave you? Probably work hard. Um, it's a hard game training, uh, without a doubt there's a lot more lows and ups, but um, you've just got to do what you believe and uh, if you do it and uh, you work hard and you can achieve things and um, that's what you do. You know, I started out with two horses in New Zealand at uh, Woodville with Murray Baker. We started together there and uh, you can see the results Murray's got now, probably the best trainer New Zealand's ever had. and. Um, he moved from Woodville and I moved from Woodville too. We both went up to the uh, Cambridge area where the strength of the uh, studs are. But, um, yeah, so you just got to believe in yourself and uh, you do a lot of things wrong, but uh, eventually you got to keep trying and uh, then you start to get some winners and that flows on from there. You've been around the game for quite some time. What do you say to the young ones looking to break through as trainers? Yeah, they're saying with them they want to go. I, th- I think they want to just instead of learning, learning up to one, under one person, they want to go and learn off a few people. But everyone has different ways, and um, 
obviously they're good weights. You've got John Size, he swims his horses a lot. A lot of people don't swim their horses. Um, you go over to England, they work them for an hour at a time and um, it's different. You go to America or in Australia or New Zealand. So I advise them to go and learn off a few people and um, and do the hard yards. You've just got to, it's early starts and you miss out on, young people miss out on a lot of the social life at night, but uh, depends what you want to do. If you want to be a top trainer, I think that's what you're be dedicated. Same with rugby league or rugby. You're as good as you are um, what you put into it. It's a game you've got to enjoy. Um, you know, I enjoy getting here early in the morning and left when no one's here and I can do a lot of work early and um, I enjoy it. You know, you're always looking forward to going to the stables to see your horses and um, I'd rather be doing that probably than socialising at the races. You know, I'd rather be hands-on and uh, always have been and uh, it's probably a reason I've only got 40 horses at uh, Ramwick. One, that's all the boxes I can get, but two, I can be hands-on and uh, do my own vet work and uh, look over them and whatever, you know. And you've got a well-earned reputation as a trainer of Oaks Phillies. Where did that come from? Probably probably to the extent I've never had a big backer, even in New Zealand and um, over here from studs. I've gone and bought a lot of my own horses, so the cheapest horses to buy are always Phillies. And um, I think I've got a good eye for a, a big type of stuff, Philly, like I bought Lover Lover and um, um, Gus the Wind, Quintessential and uh, Miss Mossman, um, uh, those type of fillies. You know, you can pick them out at the sales and they're not expensive. They're fillies that take time, so people want an early return. It's no good for them, so you get them cheaper. So that's hence the reason I probably had a great run with fillies and always will because other ones I probably look to buy. So reflecting on your training experiences in New Zealand and Malaysia, what are the nuances of training in different countries and what did you learn from that? Probably uh, when I was in Malaysia and Singapore circuit, we um, I had a big team up there, probably 140 horses and uh, you travelled them in a circuit. You did two weeks of time in uh, Singapore and then two weeks to Ipoh and two weeks to Penang and, and two weeks to Kuala Lumpur. You travel travel your teams and then move them base to base so you learn to travel your horses a lot and how to how, how best it is to travel them say at night out of the heat and you learn up there that um, you don't need to work them hard when you're training hot countries like Singapore or whatever uh, it's like maybe training in Florida uh, the worst thing you can do is over overwork them because they get dry coated and they don't sweat and they don't perform um, so you don't tend to work them as hard um, in the hot climates. So very different down, to New Zealand. <laughs> yeah, you're dead right. New Zealand, you can gallop them uh, and they just come through it and they want looking for their feed because uh, they're going to keep warm to get the energy back in their body. So, um, yeah, that's probably the difference. So you won training premierships in Malaysia and New Zealand. Why did you move to Sydney and what are your goals here and how difficult is it training somewhere where it's so competitive? Yeah, probably the last year that I uh, won the premiership, I broke the the New Zealand record of 111 wins. Um, I said to my wife, look, we've done everything that we need to do here. Um, the kids have just left school, gone to university. Um, I said, look, uh, why don't we go and give it a go in Sydney? It's a lovely city, great climate. I live on the beach. Um, and just do a boutique-type stable. You know, I'm never going to compete with the Waterhouses or the Wallers or, you know, you've got to have the numbers, you know. Same in New Zealand when I won the Premiership, I had 140 or 50 in work, three different stables, you know, and it's a numbers game. But uh, to come over here, I think, and 
Um, at my age now, 60, you know, it's quite good. You're, you're not racing around everywhere. You're more hands-on in one place. And, um, yeah, it's a good way to do it now, I think. So tell us what are some of the highs and lows of your career, some of the memorable wins and near misses? Probably um, in one year I won all the Oaks around. Um, I won the New Zealand Oaks with Miss Mossman. I went down to Victoria and won the, the Victorian Oaks with Kuramosa. Uh, came up in, uh, um, the AJC Oaks with Gus the Wind, the last horse to be Winks, and then up in Queensland won the um, Queensland Oaks with Quintessential. Um, she was a very good filly. She backed up and just got beaten in the uh, derby the following week. That was probably a that was a great year, and um, also probably when I trained in New Zealand, um, one of my most disappointing days was a record in Group One day their carnival. I was beating the nose in the thousand guineas and uh, another uh, half ahead in the New Zealand Cup on the same day, two Group 1 races. Um, could have been the other way around, but that's the way it goes. And uh, that's racing. You've got to take it and uh, you can't moan about it. You've got to keep your head up and, um, you know, just move on. So you have, your, you have your highs, but there's plenty of lows. You've had quite a few highlights. Why do you love what you do? What do you love most about training horses? Probably, probably I enjoy going to the race and seeing the owners get a thrill. You especially see it here in Australia because they love a bet and you get the average guy off the street and you see them having a bet and their horse wins and they go berserk. You know what the young culture is like here? They love to drink and they love to bet and uh, you don't get a better, I think, culture for racing than Australia. And uh, no, I think that's a bit of thrill I get is going to the races and seeing the owners, um, how they... Uh, they take a win and enjoy it and um, really do. And uh, you have the other way. Some of them don't take their losses as good as well because, because they're punters. But uh, that's racing and you've just got to take it and move on. But uh, I do like to see the thrill with the owners um, when they get success. Winning Edge Investments is an independent provider of tips, ratings and betting education on horse racing and sports, recruiting only the best full-time professional punters and expert analysts. Does your tipping service offer transparent posting of results every day using an achievable odds recording method? Do they offer a 120-page betting education pack with every membership? And do they provide a profit guarantee, loyalty bonus credits, refer-a-friend bonuses, and special insider discounts to valued members? If not, head over to winningedgeinvestments.com for a different, better experience. Treat your betting like a business and invest intelligently with Winning Edge Investments. And how challenging has it been during COVID-19? It's great to see the sport's been able to continue, but how do you assess how the industry's gone about it all? Yeah, they've done very well. I mean, if it wasn't for Peter Blanders, I don't think uh, league or racing would have been kept going. You know, he's uh, amazing what he can do, and uh, he can uh, pull some strings, and, um, and he's got the right ideas. So when this started, we all thought, oh, I'm going to have to lay off sort of 18 workers and they'll be out of work, and uh, you hate to do that. And uh, lucky enough, we've just kept low-key, kept good policies in place, security guards on all the gates that ran with in the morning you get checked and you at the races you're separated and uh, done a fantastic job I, I believe they did it in the world war they went through and carried on racing so how they've kept it going I think New Zealanders can't believe it and the rest of the world can't but uh, no it's been a great success and I, I don't think they could have done anything more the, we've kept going and we dropped the stake money but it's come 
come back up to where we left off and you wouldn't get better stakes in the world. You'd be targeting some races in Melbourne for the spring. Will that still be happening? Yeah, yeah, I've got some nice fillies. I've got uh, probably an Oaks campaign. I've got a nice, reliable man filly called Essential Sky. I've uh, got a good filly that won first up at Scone the other day called Land Ahoy for Sir Owen Glenn. Done deal filly. She comes back Monday. I gave her three weeks out. She should be an Oaks filly. Um, I've got a nice star called uh, Most Welcome that might go down to Melbourne for the staying races. He went to Hong Kong and didn't settle in and he's come back here and ran very well the other day first up. Um, but I'll probably just have to go hit and run and miss us if we can't get the staff down there. I, I, I won't have them down there for very long. They'll probably just go down for the one race. Um, otherwise, I'm going to have to send my staff down earlier and they'll have to quarantine for two weeks. And I don't really like leaving horses with other trainers. I know they'll do a good job, but it's not the same as having your hands on with your own staff who rides and knows the horses. So it's going to be challenging in the spring. Um, but the racing's so good here too in um, Sydney that, you know, unless you've got a real top liner for a Group 1 race, I, you know, wouldn't take anything. Who would be the pick out of the ones you've mentioned for the Oaks? Landahoy looks a very promising horse. Um, and uh, it'll be interesting to see Eliza Beale. She looks very promising. Um, what distance she'll get out to, I don't know. But uh, she's still a maiden, but ran against top two-year-olds um, at Groundwork this season. And she's due to kick off with the trolls on the 28th. Um, she could head down there as well. Um, I'll have, obviously, Brandenburg. He kicks off. He's a stable, obviously, star at the moment. He'll kick off in the Wink Stakes. Go the Golden Eagle and maybe the Epsom, and he might go down there for a Cox Plate um, if he shows he's up to it. But the way he's matured and spell, it looks as though he will be. So he'll be exciting, and um, I think Emeralds is coming up very well um, from last season. She's going to race next week um, at Warwick Farm on Wednesday with Louise Day claiming three. So I think um, she'll go as well too. So they look very promising horses for the spring. Is Brandenburg the one you're most excited about? Yeah, he's a he's a serious horse. He's just laid back colt. Actually, as I'm talking, I'm watching him out the window eating grass. He's just a, a beautiful horse. He's matured a lot with his break. He was always a bit weak at three. We probably went a race too many running in the all-age stakes, but he took it well, had a good six weeks out, and he's um, he got up this morning and trial on the 28th of this month and have one more trial straight into the Wink Stakes. As you know, he goes well fresh. He won the Herbertville first up last season, so I expect him to be, you know, bang on when the uh, when the season starts. And he's by Burgundy, not a sire we know much about in Australia. Where did you find uh, Brandenburg? He's um, he's out of a very good Galileo mare. Uh, he's a half to lover lover. Uh, when I got lover lover and she showed so much promise early on, I told Mark Pilkington and the owners of Brave um, um, Lover Lover about what I think of the horse, and they sourced the mare out in New Zealand that had a foal at foot by Burgundy. So they bought the mare in the foal and brought her over here, brought him over here, and um, hence he's here in my stable after Lover Lover was here. And then uh, they've got another promising yearling route two turning two next month by fast net rock out of the mare as well so um yeah it looks a it looks a very good line to have and uh that's how hence we got uh, brandenburg because uh, burgundy was a very good horse in new zealand but he hasn't been a great sire but as you know every sire has a good one 
and it uh, looks as though this could be um, Brandon uh, Burgundy's uh, best colt he's had. Is he up to winning a Cox Plate if he keeps improving? I think he'll get out to 2,000 for sure. And uh, if we don't get the ex- the overseas horses, that would be a big help, wouldn't it? You know yeah, what no, I mean? That'd make it easy for you guys. We don't get the jabs and they yeah. don't get the overseas. Well, you're in with a big chance. But uh, let's hope they stay away because, as you know, they're very good horses, the Japanese, if they come over. So uh, we'll just wait and see and um, see where we get to. But there's always dreams in this game, and that's what you you got to look forward to. Yeah, it'd be good to keep some prize money local. Um, a couple of other horses yeah. we haven't, haven't touched on. Um, stick them up and Aspect Ratio, are they yes. wrong as well? Yes, I, I don't think Aspect Ratio saw the Oaks distance out. Um, he's, she's coming up very well. I think she's going to be a miler. She'll have a very good season. I'll just take her through the grades. And um, stick them up, yeah, things just didn't go to plan in the Oaks. Um, where she led, she wasn't mean, meant to, and then I went to South Australia and she did the same thing. I don't know why, but she's now had six weeks, so I'm probably going to give her two more weeks, and then she'll come in and go through the grades. I think she'll be a very good staying mare, you know, uh, when she comes back to the race, because she was always weak, and the done deal, uh, Billy, you know, she'll just mature, so I think she'll be a nice stayer as well. And um, also back in work now is House of Cartier, um, promising stayer. She looks finally matured now. She's five and um, she should kick off and win some nice staying races too, probably later in the spring, I'd say. Do you think you'll take her down to Melbourne as well? She could be one down there for one of those uh, the 2,000 metre fillies and mares race. Yep. Uh, not the Meyer. The Meyer's a mile. I think it's the other one. Um, I've forgotten what it is, but that would be its black type and it'd be a good race for her because she'd, uh, she'd suit Flemington and um, yeah, she'll probably go. That's the last day of the carnival, I think it is. I've forgotten the name of the race, but it's a Phillies and Mears 2000. And you've got Foxborough heading to Grafton for the Guineas? Yeah, that's his last, her last run, run for the campaign. I can't see anything wrong with her. She's in form. Got a fantastic summer coat on in the middle of winter. She looks great. Um, Rachel King got last Tuesday, like what she, she, she saw and felt. And. Um, Got a fair bit of weight. Um, it's going to be a hard, but she's got a soft jaw, so she'll get a soft run. She should be about fifth or sixth in the running. And um, they seem to, to, tend to sort of fan out a bit when they come around the turn at Grafton, so it should suit her, and uh, she should get a run through at them. So if the track's anything from good to heavy, she doesn't mind it. So, no, I think she's a good chance tomorrow and good value at the price, I think. Yep. She got through the, the going nicely at Walker the other time, didn't she? Yeah, she loved that, and uh, I tried to get her out to 2,000, but that didn't work, so she's a miler, and um, she, this will be about a ninth run in, but she's done very well, and uh, she'll go out for a spell um, on Thursday, and uh, she'll be a better horse next time in too. But no, she should go a good race, it's an even line out and uh, line up, and um, a soft run would get her, make her hard to beat, I think. Any other young horses coming through the stable that are worth following? Um, what have I got? I got a nice Sacred Falls horse, good Sacred Captain. I think he's a very nice horse. He ran had one trial last time and as a cult two year old and he ran second to that Mama Son or the horse of John Thompson that ran third in the Golden Slipper. Um, so that was good form. He's back the old trial on the twenty eighth and he looks like a, a promising being a Sacred Falls. He should get to a guinea's distance at least a mile. And um I've got a quite a nice team of young horses coming in um, I think Encountable um, will have a good season um, he only had a few races at two 
was a bit unlucky not to win one and hit some bad tracks and then he got a very very sick and um, we had to put him out. So he's had two months out. I think he'll be a promising horse and countable when he uh, gets back to line up. And just back to your affinity with staying three-year-old fillies like Kiramosa, Lover Lover and Gust of Wind, what do you think is the key to working them out and sourcing the right horses? They, they just, um, all of those staying fillies, they don't need a lot of real hard work. They like, I tend to train my uh, fillies, they're a lot harder to train fillies and colts because they get in season and they're temperamental and whatever. That's why I like training them because you've got to work them out. You can go up a colt every day of the week and they'll just sleep and eat. It doesn't worry them. They're not hard to train. Two-year-olds aren't hard to train either because they either run or they don't. You can't make them run it too. And they either go shins or they don't. You know, I think that's the easiest training of a lot of two-year-olds. It's when they get to the age of three and older that you... Um, You've got to work them over ground and not work them too hard, but do long, long, even work, you know, three-quarters, 16 to the furlong, and then they get used to it and their aerobic ability and, and the staying, staying kicks in at the end of their races. So I find, and especially at three, you haven't got the Europeans to run against, so it's a good time to get in and get some black type for them because once they're four, if you think you're any good, you're going to Caulfield Cups and you're going to Melbourne Cups. Well, you're against the best, which Gus the Wind and ran fourth in the, in the Caulfield Cup and was knocked over, ran sixth in the Melbourne Cup. Was knocked over, remember, when Frank Vittori came out and, and uh, Michelle Payne won the Cup that year and he came out and took half the field down halfway up the straight. You know, and it was a huge run. She picked herself up and went to the line again. But you're against the best then when they're out of their three-year-old class. So I think it's a niche that I've fitted into that I, I can get a good result at uh, aiming horses for their three-year-old campaigns. Has Gustav Wynn produced any horses in the bar? She's just, I think she's just got a fold down now. She's got a, a snitchel foot. Uh, Sir Owen Glenn bought her off my owners from Hong Kong. And um, I think she's in Folder Fast Net Rock. So... Um, I think he'll keep them. They won't go to the sales. So, yeah, she's just started producing now. She went to Criterion, of course, that he owned, but didn't get in foal because he wasn't getting many in foal. So she missed probably a couple of years breeding going to him. But now that he's not standing because he's infertile, she's gone to other sides, you know. Well, that'll be exciting to see if um, one of those can have the same turn of foot she had. Oh, yeah, it'd be great, yeah, because as you say, they're very hard to find and I don't think you'd see a better one if anyone out there wants to go into YouTube and look at a first up one at uh, Scone. Uh, you wouldn't see another horse win like that ever, I think. It was a huge effort and uh, I'll always remember uh, that's when we thought we had a good one. We saw that, that sort of one that day. Uh, were you surprised when you saw her finish like that? <laughs> yeah, I did because she didn't show a lot in training. But I thought the lovely big, I like kicking horses off up there. It's a lovely big track and it suits all horses actually, yeah. I'm taking a nice team there on Friday this week actually. I, I thought when she got that far back and she was under the whips, no no chance. We're going to have to go back to the trials. Well then off she came and Jay Ford rode her that day and she would have been giving them 40 lengths and got up and won. So that's when you know you've got a good horse. So um, And she was one of the ones that just works average but brings it out on race day. She's got a nice CV if you look at that win and then you um, take into account she beat Winks as well. That's dead right. Yeah, that's always a good trivia question is who's the last <laughs> beat Winks. And uh, after we better that day, I, I think uh, we didn't win again and Winks went on and won, what, 30 or whatever it was in a row, you know, so just shows you. That's racing.
Yeah, dead right, yeah. <laughs> All right, John, thanks for your time and thanks for coming on the show. It's been great to hear about your career and where your horses are heading this year. Okay, that'll be great any time. Cheers. No worries. Thanks, John. Cheers, mate. Okay, bye-bye. At Winning Edge Investments, our team of highly skilled expert analysts and full-time professional punters review the data, crunch the figures, assess the best betting opportunities, and deliver them to your phone via our app and your email inbox in real time so you profit. Go to www.winningedgeinvestments.com, look at our membership options, make your choice, and enter the promo code PODCAST to receive a special 25% discount on your first membership just for listening. That's P-O-D-C-A-S-T in capital letters for a 25% ongoing discount on your first membership. Treat your betting like a business and invest intelligently with Winning Edge Investments.